Hey everyone, this is That Guy in Hutch, Jason Probst, and you're listening to that podcast in Hutch. Today, I'm excited to have with me the Kansas State Treasurer, Lynn Rogers, with me. And actually, I'm, it's kind of nice I'm sitting in his sunroom in his house, and I've never done a podcast recording there before, but it's, it's a nice environment on a rainy day. Lynn, thanks for uh, hanging out with me today. I'm glad to be here. So I, I wanted to talk with you a little bit. Um, I, my thinking is uh, we hear treasurer and we know we vote for it every four years. Um, but I think that a lot of us might not know, even to some degree, I don't know uh, the details of the job. But, but before we get into that, I wanted to talk with you a little bit about kind of your early career and how you came to Kansas. You're originally from Nebraska, right? Right. Uh-huh. By way of Chicago. By way of Chicago. <laughs> so in your early career, you worked in uh, farm farm credit, farm finance, right? Yeah. Uh, I was recruited here to, to Kansas in uh, mid-80s uh, to work for the Federal Land Bank and the Federal Intermediate Credit Bank and the Bank for Cooperatives, or the farm credit banks here in Wichita. So, And that was probably a, uh, somewhere in there. It wasn't a great time to be connected to no, farm the, credit. We, we moved here uh, May 1st, and so it's almost a, a full uh, 37 years. Um, and a month later, on June 1st, they announced losses of about $180 million. And so uh, we... Had a hurt, you know, they had just built a new building, hired a bunch of staff, and they ended up uh, laying off about a third of the their staff at that point. And, and I think we had three or four reorganizations after that, uh, some a lot fewer people over that period of time. So, well, this and I hadn't planned to ask this, but this piques my my curiosity. What happened in the mid '80s to kind of create the farm crisis? Well, the uh, uh, you know commodity prices, of course, went down and um, interest rates went way up. Uh, yeah, that was a period of time with you know high inflation. They were trying to curb that, and so um, you know interest rates went from four or five percent to twenty one, twenty two percent. And that's one of the problems when we came is that you know they had no cap on the on the, how high they could go, and and so a combination of those things, uh, we had the eighties. Uh, in embargo to to Russia, you know that cut uh, exports. So all of those things really, you know, did a number on on farmers and ranchers. And of course, that had followed a great expansion in the '70s, where um, ag had done very well. A lot of people bought uh, pretty high priced land, and uh, kind of there was a concept that they're not going to make more, so you better better buy when mm-hmm. when the neighbor piece comes up. So farmers would take a piece that was in their family, paid off, and and use that as part of their down payment, and and so. You know, they just got upside down on a lot of different properties. I think I remember uh, it's been a while now, but uh, I think over 3000 bankruptcies across the country, which is an average of only one per county. But still, you know, some counties were hit much harder than others. Yeah. And I think Kansas was hit particularly hard exactly. that time, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Kansas and, and our the bank we work with uh, handled Oklahoma, Colorado, New Mexico and Kansas. And so the Midwest was, was hit especially hard. I only remember that because I remember my dad kept losing jobs. During that time. Oh, yeah. He was a welder and so um, working on farm equipment or implements or whatever. And then oh, yeah. This yeah. company, would they they had their orders fell out. And it, so it affected a lot of things. Yeah, I think that. a dealership in every county went down. And, and of course, it was also uh, oil prices. A lot of independent oil uh, firms here in Wichita went bankrupt and then the aircraft industry. So it was kind of a, a triple hit uh, for the, the Wichita economy. So. But you you stayed in that industry for a while. You were in some marketing and some, yeah, some I, leasing. It was that. always interesting. We had about 35 in the marketing staff. I, I got to keep one of the three jobs that was there. And then we developed the adjustable rate mortgage and did a lot of marketing and efforts, uh, helped people refinance 
some of those high priced loans into some more of the that were a little bit more uh, cost effective and uh, and then switched over to the leasing company uh, in the early 90s. Well, you talked about kind of working on a fixed rate loan because so many people had some of those variables in it. Can yeah. you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, the, when we came, the, the variable rate was, uh, it was just uh, not hooked or pegged to anything. The the bank wanted to raise it uh, because they sneezed, they could. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, rates had jumped, had jumped quite a ways. And they, uh, the farmers also had to provide a, a pretty good chunk of, of stock. 10% of their loan had to be stock. And so that combination uh, really hurt. And uh, so when we went to the fixed rate, uh, they could lock it in for, you know, a 10 year, 15 or 20 or 30 year loan. Uh, that rate would stay the same for that entire period of time. And uh, same with a the variable, they could do a three year adjustable. Um, you know, the I had seen the bank, the savings loan I'd come from in Chicago had had those kind of programs. They were very popular. We had done a lot of research uh, through all four of our states of what was popular. And actually, Kansas and, and uh, the Wichita Bank was the first farm credit entity in the country that went to those. And now they don't even offer uh, a variable with no cap, you know, uh, at least I don't think they do. Yeah, there has to be some trigger or something, right? Yeah, it's yeah. tied to treasury bonds or something so that they could, you can also kind of anticipate that if you see these rates going up, you think, okay, when it reprices, you know, in a year or two years, it's probably going to be this gives farmers an opportunity to plan and, you know, kind of prepare for it uh, before they, you know, their payment could be 15,000, the next year it could be 30 and they'd have no control over it. So, yeah. well, that, yeah, that's, that's what I was thinking is it creates some predictability. So you kind of know what to expect. Yeah. Yeah. Similar to, you know, a home, home loan and, and, uh, and, you know, there, there's, uh, you know, they've gotten a lot more sophisticated, of course, and, and farmers as they've gotten larger, but, you know, banking still stays very similar, you know, lending from, personal to business. Mm-hmm. So somewhere in there, so you're, you're doing that work. And then sometime in the nineties, you get, um, you get conned into getting into public service. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, yeah, it started our youngest or our oldest, uh, when he went to kindergarten, um, I went to my first parent teacher organization, uh, meeting and I volunteered to help raise money. Uh, I did the Riverside auction and, uh, we raised, I think $3,500 that year, the most we'd ever raised and bought some new playground equipment and, and then built that up over the next few years and was very active in, in, the, in as a volunteer. And then in the late 90s, the school district started looking at, at a bond issue and Wichita had not done one for 25 years. And so um, being a parent in, in, by this time now, I had a kid in middle school, high school and grade school. I really realized that there was a, a major need for uh, upgrading our schools. And so um, I helped organize all of the parents and uh, worked with the school board on, on getting that done. And then um, when that passed, um, the, the, our school board member uh, wanted to run for Senate and asked me to be her treasurer. I said, fine. And then when she won, she asked me to run for her seat on the school board. So I was uh, served that for 16 and a half years. Okay, on on the Wichita, Wichita school, school board. board. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about some of your experiences on the school board and, and maybe some of the maybe high points or low points or things that you remember? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I tell people my favorite song is Pomp and Circumstance because, you know, graduation is always the payday for, for board members. But I really uh, concentrated on the budget. Um, and, a, you know, strong budget, I think, is also kind of a moral document in terms of what you think is important. Um, and so I work really hard. We, we did everything we could uh, when we could to, you know, raise teacher pay, upgrade, you know, facilities and things like that. But it was also during the the brownback years, and so you know, with the 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 
horrendous cuts that we had to face. Um, we, we had to also deal with, you know, laying off staff and closing buildings. That was probably one of the most painful things, uh, you know, because there were parents and, and uh, kids that had, you know, the parents had graduated from those grade schools and they wanted their kids to go there too. And mm-hmm. so, so those were, were kind of the difficulties. Um, but I was very um, impressed with how hard our staff worked. And it didn't matter whether they were a teacher or, you know, a para or a custodian, folks that had spent 20, 30, almost one, one even 45 years working for us. And, uh, and, they're, and, and so it really be, caused me to be a, a very big believer and supporter of public ed. Um, you know, those folks work their tails off for our kids. And, and public education is so much more important than just for my, my own children's education. My kids are now grown, but the kids that live on my street, you know, I, I want to support them for that too, because mm-hmm. they're, you know, they provide our workforce. They, they are our future leaders. I mean, they're all the things that the reason to invest isn't, uh, you know, I'm not paying my taxes for tuition. I'm paying it for public service and, and the benefits it brings to the entire culture. Yeah, that's a. I'm glad you talked about that because it's one of the things I always think about is it's a it's an investment, right? Yes. It's an investment in the capacity of our future, um, because we know that every one of these kids, like you said, in a neighborhood, is eventually going to be responsible for us. Yes, right. They're yeah. going to be the taxpayers. They're going to be yeah. the earners. They're going to be running companies, and they're going to be in positions like you and I have. Yeah, and we need them to be educated and yeah. thoughtful and understanding and 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 know how to process hard ideas. Yeah. And, you know, they're the nurses that are going to measure out the medicine when we need it. They're, um, you know, the, the folks that are running the businesses, you know, that we, we need product from or manufacturers or whatever. So yeah, exactly. It's, it's, uh, it really does help our community. And, uh, and I saw that in Wichita, you know, even though it was a big, big district, we had 50,000 students, several thousand staff, um, you know, having a, a well-run, Public school that wasn't, you know, on the brink of, of disaster, you know, attracts people to your community. Um, it builds up the the community. It keeps our taxes low because, you know, more people come in and, and use the same product or same services. So. Well, because that's one thing people look at, right? They, they want to know, is there a school close to my neighborhood? Right. Is it, yeah. you know, how is the school? Things like yeah. that. And yeah. they, they want to know whether this is going to work for their family. Yeah, exactly. And we saw, too, that when you upgraded your facilities, um, you know, one of the examples I use is our water bill, for instance. You, you know, we upgraded all of the, the the sinks and toilets and everything to be, you know, low flow and whatnot. And it just made a huge difference because it cut our use in, in half. And, you know, with prices going up the way it was, you know, our our uh, rates were still the same or our bill was still the same, but it would have been astronomical if we hadn't upgraded and updated it. And it's kind of that with all of the, you know, the, the, the Riverside school here had a, a 1930 boiler, you know, <laughs> they were making parts because the business had, had gone bankrupt 50 years before. And so, wow. you know, that's just not efficient in, in the long run. So, um, so, you know, better, better use of, of our tax dollars. Yeah. To stay on, kind of stay on top of those things. Right. right? Exactly. Um, so, eventually like you said then then you were on the school board and you did that for you said almost 17 years right? yeah and then then you I, I guess Jean Eugene Schodorf was my senator um, she had gotten beat and then the the, the person that that beat her uh, never wanted to talk to us about education and uh, didn't support education and uh, so I was recruited to run in that seat for for the Riverside area and and won and and had the privilege you know sitting 
in the Senate for, for two years, and uh, which I learned a lot. I mean, when I walked into the Senate, I knew I knew about education and, edu- and uh, banking and uh, ag. But, you know, there's so many issues that you deal with as a legislator uh, that I learned a lot in a very short period of time. So. Was, was there a little bit of uh, a shock moving from a school board to a, to a legislative seat? Yeah, the partisanship, uh, you know, on the school board, we never talked about parties. And I served with both Republicans and Democrats and, and uh, had been a Republican until I ran for Senate. And running in a you know, partisan race, of course, kind of got me used to that. But, but then just the partisanship where people would stand up and say, we need to do this for our party as opposed to doing this for our uh, state uh, made, a, made a big uh, difference in my, in my mindset. And, uh, and I guess when I, my philosophy is that you know, we may run as a Republican and we may run as a Democrat, but when we get to Topeka, we really need to be Kansans. Uh, what do we need to do to fix the problems that, that we have in front of us. And we can disagree on what the problem is or even how to fix it. But by working together, I think we can get better responses. And, and that's what I, I hoped we could see, because that's how I saw it in the school board, was that, you know, when you have seven, one uh, person has an idea and somebody else can build on it. And you talk about it for a while and, and then, you know, progress and, and, and solve it, so to speak. Um, and or at least try another method of, of fixing the problem if, if if the first one doesn't work. Yeah, the process at school districts or yeah, school districts and city councils and county levels seems to be a lot more collaborative uh, and willing to bring in those other ideas. Yeah, it's, see that. it's gotten a little bit you know more you know partisan, unfortunately. But um, but yeah, you could listen and and being in the city council or school board, you know, I would get a, for school board, I would get a packet of two or 300 pages uh, for every board meeting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I went on the board, I thought, oh, I know how to answer all these questions or I know how to, how to do this. But then when you sit at the table for the first time, you realize that this is people's livelihoods. You know, the two things they think are the most important, uh, their kids and their money is what they send to the school district. And so they have opinions, uh, but you need to know the details and, and you need to understand the consequences of of those. So, you know, that's what I really liked about that, that work was we could deal with those on a much more local level. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And, and in a way that was solution oriented. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Instead yeah. of, instead like, of just you know, partisanship. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So you did two years in the Senate and then you got tapped to be Lieutenant governor. Right. Yeah. I was, I sat in the back row next to then Senator Kelly and I always laughed that, you know, she leaned over one time and said, why don't, do you run for lieutenant governor with me while I run for governor? And, and I, I, I think I was told her that my response was, oh, sure, what kind of trouble could that get me into? So, uh, <laughs> little did I know. Little did I know. <laughs> well, and that experience, you now, that's, that's a bigger role. That's a statewide role. So now instead of representing a district in Wichita, which I represent the whole state. The whole yeah. state. So yeah. talk to me about that. Well, and I... Uh, Asked specifically to you know work with the our rural communities because of my banking rural banking experience and the governor wanted to open start what was called the office of real prosperity and so um, but before I you know we implemented anything I wanted to make sure that we did a, a major listening tour so that first summer we spent uh, most of the summer on the road visiting uh, over twenty five cities uh, you know twelve key cities and then a lot of places around there. Um, we tried to get into each region of the state, um, talk to as many people during the day as we could, um, and really heard uh, sometimes from people that had never heard before. Because they, uh, when, when it, during the campaign, we often heard that people said they don't get, didn't feel like they got listened to by Topeka, mm-hmm. and and I do think there's sometimes where we 
almost too much of a bubble in Topeka. But when we got out and talked to people, um, what we found was that they needed uh, communities needed help with with uh, things that would improve their their lifestyle, their way of life. Uh, people appreciated living in the rural communities, but they didn't have access to broadband. There wasn't housing available in a lot of these communities mm-hmm. that were growing or needed to grow. Um, and childcare; those were really big issues. And then a lot of smaller, you know, ancillary issues. But um, but. I was really encouraged. You know, we did the first housing study um, that the state had done in 29 years, and then of course, you know, this year in the legislature, you guys responded partly because we had the had the money finally because mm-hmm. of uh, overturning some of the bad tax bills, but uh, we could invest now in those rural communities um, and broadband. I mean, I've had problems with broadband here, even in in near downtown Wichita, you know, in, in our home in Riverside, uh, but we knew it's even worse in, in rural communities. Mm-hmm. I always carried my state phone and my personal when we were on those travels, and I'd always do a check to see how many bars I had, and it was amazing with even two different carriers how often neither one had a bar, um, and we'd go to towns and one say, well, you can get, you know, you got to get up on this hill, or <laughs> you got to go to this, and, and so those were were discouragement, but it, it's they've been able to invest in some broadband that we haven't. I think we have fifty thousand more Kansans on on better broadband than we did. So it's coming, but it's still a long ways to go. But yeah. if you want to start a business, you know, you want to shop, go to the doctor. I mean, we really found that in COVID, you need good broadband. So. Yeah, I think there's quite a bit of information out there that that is key to it. I mean, the housing yeah. and the childcare plays a huge role too. But I, yeah. I know what I've heard over and over is. We can't we can't get businesses here if they can't access the internet. Yeah, families that might want to move here wouldn't if, even consider it. Yeah, you know there was a legislator that uh, that I who I really enjoy and he he lives out in Fowler. Campus, oh yeah, and he always had the saying that um, it won't matter what we offer if people can't watch Netflix, they're not going to move <laughs> to Fowler, Kansas. Yeah. Well, and they were that was the one area uh, that they really had done some pre-planning of if they could get money, this is where they're going to invest it. So they were ready to go with some of that. And and I, that's one of the things I, what we try to encourage too, is it wasn't going to be the state that would fix these things. We would address them and there are things the state can do, but it was still going to take local leadership. And we, we saw that too. In some communities, some of the leaders were tired and they needed uh, somebody to step up. And, and, um, and so the older uh, volunteer needed to make sure that they're willing to um, turn things over to a younger person. That mm-hmm. was sometimes tough, but the younger folks needed to step up to lead and, and the, you know, to really make your community viable for the future, you needed to figure out a way to work together uh, locally and then tap into the state and federal resources that you could And pull into. those into your community. And pull those in, yeah. Which I, I think, and to get off topic, but I think small communities have a real struggle with that because yeah. they don't often have like a volunteer yeah. a volunteer city council. Yeah. Um, and usually if they have any staff, it's a part-time city clerk or something. Yeah. And they don't have that yeah. sort of expertise to pull down some of those federal yeah. dollars. Yeah. I remember when you came to Hutch and went through several yeah. places in Hutch, and then we had a what I thought was a pretty good showing out at Nickerson yeah. uh, with people. Yeah. And they and they didn't seem to be too bashful about talking about no. some of their needs. And we had those in uh, those listening sessions in 12 cities. We'd start about 7 o'clock in the morning, hit four or five cities near one of our major cities. And, and we visited, you know, manufacturers. We talked with farmers. We talked with, you know, business people. Um, we went to schools. Um, we, we did a really wide variety and then we would culminate uh, with a, a discussion. We'd ask people, you know, what's working, what's not working, uh, what do we need to do better, what were the hot spots. And Nickerson was one of our, it was our first one. Um, I think we had over 75, 80 people there mm-hmm. and uh, great discussion.
discussions, and uh, and that's really what what uh, what we then put into effect. I I just think it's really you know Kansans if they're asked for their their advice and their ideas, you know they can solve a lot of things, they can do a lot of things, but we just need to empower them to do it and make sure that we were listening finally. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was a, a great trade. And you produced a, your, your office, or the Office of Rural Prosperity, Prosperity yeah. produced an entire report based on all of that, right? Right, right. Yeah. And then the next year with COVID, we did it virtually, uh, but we kind of repeated some of the same things. We we tried to meet with people by Zoom. And, and, and part of it, too, is highlighting what's going on. Because what we found, too, is one community oftentimes had the same need of another community. Um, and so we tried to... to connect them together. So if one had built a, a child care center like Phillipsburg, we highlighted that so that other communities would would see, oh, okay, I can go learn from them and, and don't necessarily have to follow a, a cookie cutter approach. Mm-hmm. So. And there are Phillipsburg for child care, Phillipsburg and Lindsburg are two that comes to my mind, right. where they've they've deployed some pretty creative solutions to right. child care. Yeah. That, that is a collaborative between private industry and city government, local government, right. finding a solution to the problem. Yeah. Because business, you know, what we saw in Phillipsburg, business really responded because they had employees that needed childcare. And, and you know, most of our rural communities need more workers. And, and so if you can make sure, you know, both spouses, if they want to work, can, um, you, but they want to make sure that they've, they've got adequate childcare and, and adequate education for their kids too. So. Well, to me, it really sounds like it. it's, it's kind of, not a single thing that's going to lift rural Kansas, right? It's kind yeah. of an ecosystem problem. Yeah, you, you know, that's what we kind of, everybody kind of thought we could get a silver bullet, and, it, and there isn't. Um, but you've got to do all those kind of things at the same time. And and then we also encourage, you know, communities to do, to start the hard part of planning and, and, and again, taking advantage of an opportunity when it raised its head. Because not always... Uh, was it going to be available? And, you know, many of them realized that, you know, getting a factory of 500, you know, employees wasn't going to be their solution. Um, they couldn't even do it if they didn't have highways or mm-hmm. if they didn't have, of uh, you know, housing available. So they needed to start small to kind of build that and, and uh, kind of work on all of those things at the same time. But, you know, it came through really loud and clear that, you know, it wasn't a tax situation for most of them. It was a the quality of life. You know, people wouldn't come to their community if they didn't have the things like education and um, activities for your family. Mm-hmm. Even if it wasn't in your own community, it needed to be close enough that they could could participate. And do something, yeah. So, yeah. so you do that for two years and you, and you were really engaged in that. And then you, then, then there's a vacancy in the treasurer's office and you get tapped for that. So I'm starting to see you kind of suffer from this, uh, if, if you if you want to, if you want to, what, how's the saying go? If you want to find someone who will volunteer, find the person who's busy. busy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, the governor asked if I had some names to fill because of my banking you know, background. Then she kind of tossed the names aside and just said, well, would you like to do it? And, and uh, you know, I thought for a second, I really loved being lieutenant governor. And it is, you know, it's an exceptional honor to, to, to do that. Um, but I, the treasure is really something I could sink my teeth into. And really, I tell people all the time, it fits my skill set. And, um, you know, it's, it's a, we have a very professional office, uh, but they needed to be unleashed to, to serve Kansans. And so, uh, so, you know, I, I really appreciated the opportunity to serve in this role. 
So, so for people who don't know, we probably our extent of understanding of what the treasurer's office does is when you're at the fair oh. and saying you can look up and see if we've abandoned a bank account. If we've somewhere. got a bank account. Yeah. I, you know, I tell people I'm the state banker. Um, you know, I balance the checking account every day. I don't. My staff does. You know, we make sure that all the checks that are, are cashed and, and written and cashed um, clear and that we don't have, you know, any extra uh checks that shouldn't be in there. Um, we issue all the bonds for cities, counties, and, and school districts and, and make sure that those payments get made each and every year. Um, we don't collect the taxes. That's the Department of Revenue, but we do issue um, the tax payments to our cities and counties and, and things of that nature. And then we have the idle uh, funds where we can loan idle dollars to agriculture, housing, mm-hmm. uh, economic uh, development. We did the the rural, uh, the city utility loans last year during the high energy prices. Uh, we do the unclaimed property. We have about 400 million of bank accounts that have been abandoned. And a lot of people, you know, we go to grocery stores and coffee shops and talk to people and, and ask if they have unclaimed property and they can't figure out why they would. But what they don't realize is oftentimes we have it and they don't even know that we have it. Um, it is, you know, bank accounts that you know, family member has forgotten about and hasn't opened, but it also includes rebates and refunds and, and, uh, checks that, uh, utility checks that don't make it to where it's supposed to go. Um, you know, in some cases it's, uh, you know, the address is even correct, but the mail just didn't deliver it. Mm. Uh, we were in Lyons, uh, last year and, uh, little coffee shop, Lyons, Kansas, and an older guy comes in and, and, uh, he didn't have anything, but we looked up his wife's name. She had passed away a few years earlier, and she had four life insurance policies totaling $300,000, and he didn't know that they had been paid out or that she even had them. And so, you know, we were able to connect people like that. And and so, you know, it's kind of a wide variety of why we got have the money, uh, but it's really my job to get it back to them, you know, as, as much as we can. So. Now, it's fascinating to me to think that, um, well, one of the things that I always think is there's so much that happens in processing or or executing whatever whatever government function there yeah. is. And, and as you were describing that, I think there's there's a lot to to this office that yeah. we don't even think about. Well, and, and one of the things that that has been helpful, you know, with my my banking background is there's been a number of things that we've been able to update. Uh, systems and software. Um, you know, we we have we had an unclaimed property database that was 16 years old. Um, we that and it was going to get revamped a few years ago and it got canceled by a previous treasurer. You know, we had to get it back on track because the the national standards have changed. But even more importantly, we hold a lot of of uh, private information on these bank accounts, social mm-hmm. security numbers, and things. So we really want to make sure that they're protected. And and so we are in the process of of upgrading that one. Um, to pay a city to pay a bond payment, they had to go into the bank, get a, a, a form notarized by their banker with their bank accounts, and then send it to us each and every payment, which is extremely, uh, and then during COVID was difficult to do as well. We were able to get the law changed where, you know, that can now be uh, saved from year to year and protected, you know, uh, electronic you know, records, but um, they don't have to update that with the local banker any, anymore. So, so things like that, that um, we, we go through, I, I tell people, it's like, we're kind of catching up to, to year 20, uh, 22 banking mm-hmm. uh, rules um, because uh, you know, there's just so much that, that is, has changed technology wise. We want to use the most uh, current technology that we can. Yeah. That's, that, that's interesting because um, I had, I hadn't, <laughs> thought about that but yeah 
somebody would have to go like from a city and yep. they'd have to go to their bank every every, it, every whether time the payment was whether it was monthly, quarterly or, or annual, they had to do that each and every time they did that. So so and you know, again, we've got three thousand bond issues, um, and they would have had to do it for each bond. So a city that had multiple bonds or a school district would have to do that multiple times. So So this really reduces the amount of paperwork and, and right. engagement that people have to have just to just to fill out a form. Just to fill out a form. Yeah, exactly. So uh, so there's other things we'd like to do. Uh, we, we, we keep looking at how do we upgrade and, and update and, and use the most recent technology. We have our own IT staff, which has been very helpful uh, because, again, you know, uh, the, recently the line between us and the Federal Reserve went down. So our staff were able to fix it, you know, almost immediately. If, if we had that uh, out to, you know, a private company, it would have been based on how soon they could have gotten to it. And so, so those are the kind of things that, you know, again, it's, it's important because, um, you know, the sooner we can provide that service, you know, to the city, the less work they have to do, you know, the, the less resources they have to do for busy, what I call busy work. Busy work. Yeah. Yeah. And then you mentioned the idle funds and I, I just learned about this since being in the legislature. I didn't even know this was a thing. Can you talk about that a little bit? Um, We've got uh, three programs that you can uh, borrow money from the state. Um, They're, we call them uh, linked deposit accounts. Our most active is the agricultural loan program. A uh, farmer can, can borrow, they work with their local bank. The bank borrows from the state 200, up to 250000 per person. And um, we loan it to them at a lower than average cost. So it's, it's around maybe three and a quarter, uh, something like that, or three and a half, depending on what rates are doing. And, um, and so that savings can, can you know, be returned to the, to the producer from that standpoint. The Kansas, we are protected because the, the funds are, are guaranteed by the bank. Um, so if there's any credit loss, it's through the bank, not through us. So they get an adequate return as well. And then we also uh, capitalize our asset, uh, make sure that there's an asset backing the or, or FDI insurance on the loan itself. We have that for housing, uh, agriculture, and then what we call economic development. The economic development was due to the COVID response. Um, so, you know, uh, that's that has taken off a little bit. The, the disappointing one is our housing loan. Um, we don't have, that has never been used since 2008. And particularly when you think of how uh, housing needs in our community, uh, how big it is, uh, we need to get that revamped. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now it's a loan that would, it would have been a four and a half to 5% mortgage rate. And, you know, mortgages are starting to go up, but they're still in the three to three and a half range. Mm-hmm. And so it, it wasn't a competitive bill, but competitive product. But, you know, I look at it as something that we could maybe revamp so that we could hit our rural communities for revamping uh, houses that have, you know, housing stock that's out of date. Um, you know, a rehab loan at four and a half isn't too uh, bad. It's pretty competitive. Yeah. And they could loan it, borrow it for up to five years, rehab it into an adequate house, and then uh, pay it off by getting a new mortgage for the for the full property. Okay. And, but it would take, I think, working with some some housing authorities and and nonprofits as well as the local bank. So uh, we hope to take that to the legislature next year and, and get that started to to revamp and make that so it's a m- m- more competitive in the marketplace. Right. And, and I think we need to give the treasurer some flexibility that you know that the dollar amount can change slightly. You know, when they started at two hundred fifty, that was of course that's the insurance amount, but it's there are times where that might need to be higher. Um, and again, we want to make it fair so that everybody that wants access to it can. But if it sits idle and doesn't do anything, you know, it doesn't help us yeah, either. It's not doing any, any so, good. Yeah. So, so you, you've 
done a lot of these things over over time and you've done a lot of public service um talk a little bit about why someone would want to do public service or why do you want to do public service well i growing up um you know by my dad and uh grandpa were both on their the school board school that i grew up in um and my dad and grandpa always used grandpa particularly always used to say that was his uh, rent payment for living on this earth, you know, mm. doing something to better your community. And, uh, th- you know, I think that started when I start, first started volunteering with the parent teacher organization, the school was, how do we make that school better than when we found it? Um, you know, I've seen that with the neighborhood as well, working with them. Um, you know, I like the, the, people that I've met through doing this, you know, uh, even when I don't always agree with them, uh, there's some very fascinating people, you know, that you get to have some exposure to. Um, and I think most people want to leave uh, their environment better. And so to me, that's a, that's a big part of it. Um, you know, to me, my best accomplishments were not getting elected to any of these offices. It's, you know, really, um, being married, raising, you know, three great kids and having some grandkids that we can influence and, and, uh, you know, being a good citizen. Um, you know, so it's going to Topeka every week. I mean, I commute up every Sunday night and come home usually on Friday or yeah, Fridays. And, uh, and then during the week we'll travel. I think I've, since August, I've put on over 20,000 miles just, um, you know, throughout the state for unclaimed property and, and our 529 accounts. But, um, it, you know, I love meeting the people as well. You know, uh, I think it's important that our elected officials also get out of Topeka and and be in the real world so that we can hear. It's amazing the events that we have. Oftentimes, people will bring a concern. And it has nothing to do with the being the treasure, mm-hmm. but I do know where I can direct it and where I can can funnel it. So, um, so at least I can serve you know in that way as well. Don't you find that? I mean, for me, I find that to be one of the most rewarding parts of the job is that you can actually, in some way, solve yeah or help solve help a somebody. Problem. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I they they still need to take it from there, but even getting it to the right person, you know, makes a makes a huge start. And you know, the ordinary citizen wouldn't know how that operates. You know, mm-hmm. if they're not in it every day, I I didn't know how Topeka worked until you know I got there. You know, type of thing. And and uh, and it is you know, getting it to the right agency. Yeah. And the, yeah. And that's the thing about it because it's overwhelming when you're, and sometimes I think we forget that we get used to that, you know, and we forget how overwhelming it is. And then even in something like the department of revenue, there's a, you know, there's a division of motor vehicles and then there's a tag office and there's all these different divisions within that. And it's, it can be overwhelming for people. So, and that legislative work helped me understand, you know, the big picture from the budget, you know, standpoint, Mm -hmm. Uh, similar to what, you know, I learned on the school board was, you know, having the right budget and, you know, knowing where money is spent. And, and, and I think people also, you know, they think we can solve all of the problems. And if we could, we would have already. I mean, we, we, I often heard on the school board, well, if you just did this, and it's like one night I had three people in a row tell me that. And I said, well, after the third one, I finally said, is it this or this? And they'd say, well, no. Uh, why'd you even say that? Because the last two people just told me that. And, and, and all of a sudden that guy kind of got it. It's like, oh, I understand. There's more than one thing you have to do. And it's like, yeah, you've got to get a lot of balls in the air at the same time to, to get things moving forward. One, one thing, and I'd be curious to see if you found this same way. One thing that's been very interesting to me or very humbling for me is to realize that you can't pull the thread in one place without 
wrinkling the sweater so, somewhere yeah, else. Yeah, somewhere right? else. Yeah. Everything in our world is so interwoven yeah. that you, you think, oh, if you just do this one thing, yeah. you know, that will solve a problem. Um, yeah, it, it can exactly solve great. a problem, but it also creates. We always talk about that, that it may create problems somewhere yeah. else that yeah. if we haven't thought it through. We, I saw that. I see that a lot, uh, you know, because we respond to legislative uh, bills and we are asked oftentimes for fiscal notes on, on how something should work. And when I first got over there, they said, yeah, the legislature leaves us alone. And we said, well, if they leave us alone the way they've left us alone, you know, we're just, we're swamped, <laughs> you know, they, because all these bills do have an impact of some, some mm-hmm. way. And so that's part of my job too. During the legislative session, we keep very busy responding to those kinds of things, you know, how this school education program might work or how medical marijuana might work. Um, all of those kind of things ultimately go through um, our, our, you know, banking system. And so um, we need to use the most, you know, up-to-date banking laws and products that we can. And and so that's been kind of a challenge for us to help, you know, educate legislators too on how how that's done. A lot of legislators don't have edu- uh, financial experience. And mm-hmm. so we've been able to, to, you know, help them in some cases as well. Well, because like we talked about earlier, everything, like I hadn't thought about medical yeah. marijuana, but if there's a tax stream on that, eventually that's going to flow through your office. Right, right. And the banking system, you know, um, they were going to limit us to a very narrow way of doing the banking. And so we got an amendment in there that said if it passes, that you would let the treasurer use the best uh, solution they could come up with. And, you know, again, as long as it's legal and fine. And and that was advice we got from other treasurers that had, you know, kind of gone through it, which is one of the nice things about the job is there's, you know, there's 49 other treasurers for the most part. And so we can pick up the phone and talk to them if they've done it or. So how does this work in your state? Right, exactly. Because they probably already, and and they've already called us on like our uh, empowerment accounts, our city utility loan programs, Mm -hmm. those kinds of things. That's been part of it too. So. So. Yeah, that's really that's really nice to be able to have that resource out. To yeah, call yeah. and say, "Hey, yeah. Yeah, what do we do here?" Yeah. Um, well, you mentioned your your you know your family and your and your grandkids. I know you have three kids, right? We have three kids. Yep. And uh, how many grandkids? We have three. So we have our son and and daughter, our uh, daughter in law, are attorneys in Oklahoma, and and they have two, a uh, six year old and a four year old. Our daughter and son in law are teachers in the Kansas City area, and they have a five year old. And then our, our youngest son is, lives with us here in Wichita. So. Okay. And then um, we're, we're down here in, in kind of the central core of Wichita, uh, which this area is just a beautiful, this Riverside neighborhood is such a beautiful area. Yeah. Um, and you've lived here. We've been here 37 years now. We've, we've owned three different houses in the neighborhood. I'm actually currently on project probation. I can't start another project <laughs> in an old house until I get one done. And it's been on the road as much as I have. I haven't been able to do that so much. But, but yeah, we love the older neighborhoods, the older houses. And, and we love our neighbors. You know, we, we know most of our neighbors. And, and uh, you know, you'll, if you, the thing that slows mowing down is when you go out and mow and you see a neighbor across mowing, you stop and talk, talk in them. the middle of the street <laughs> and all. So, it, you know, Riverside is really just a small town. And yeah. and I see that in a lot of our communities. You know, the, the neighborhood is it may be a big city, but there's a lot of small neighborhoods in, inside, small towns inside. Now, do you like to do rehab projects? 
I am good at the destruction part, not the construction <laughs> part. So uh, that that makes a difference. Uh, we've had some good friends that have helped us with some of that. I I do like to do the the mowing and whatnot. It's very therapeutic to be you know to be away from numbers for a while to to just mow and and not think about things. So, uh, I, I but again, that. I don't get home enough to to get to do it as much as I need to. So. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. Um, one thing I was going to ask you earlier is kind of on your travels around the state, either as lieutenant governor or as treasurer. Um, was there a part of the state that you got to that you hadn't been to before or something that kind of like, I didn't even, I didn't know this was in Kansas. Well, you know, um, I mean, I had traveled Western Kansas, Eastern Kansas, you know, for 31 years at the bank. And, uh, I was usually gone. I would put on 70,000 miles a, a year for that. So there wasn't a whole lot that surprised me other than, um, little Jerusalem. State Park. You know, I'd been out to western, northwest Kansas for years and years, and had never, never really ever seen you know Little Jerusalem until till last summer. Um, one of the things that this job has allowed me to do is it's allowed me to stop at some things that I've driven by before. Um, you know, Wamigo, there's the Columbian Theater. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Oz Museum. Um, you know, in as lieutenant governor and and uh, the ORP and even as treasurer, people are very proud to show off their their areas. So I got to see things that many people wouldn't have gotten to see, you know, otherwise. So yeah. so that's been kind of cool. I do like that. That, that. There's always something in a small town that they'll say, "Hey, you got to see this." Got to come see this, yeah, yeah exactly. Or, or some lore or story that's really interesting. Yeah, I, yeah, I've town. learned more uh, specifics. Uh, Found out where there's some good, you know, pie places and ice cream. You know, st- my staff have been instructed to <laughs> make sure I stop wherever I can. And my wife tries to tell them, don't let them do that. But uh, there are know. some good places to eat. Yeah, out there. yeah. There, I think, uh, you know, people are very proud of where they live, uh, even if it's a very small, small community. And they should be. And, uh, you know, I see, you know, People that even live in our bigger cities, you know, oftentimes they're the product of our small towns. Mm-hmm. And so it's really important that our small towns and large towns uh, work together because, you know, we've got to keep these kids in our state and, and adults in our state. Um, you know, we've definitely got the jobs available, but but they want to live in a, in a community that that is, you know, uh, will take care of them, you know, mm-hmm. that, you know, they don't want to fight. You know, they want to they want to get along with with their neighbors and, and work together. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, kind of finding a way for to to create an understanding between like urban parts of Kansas and rural parts of Kansas is really important. Yeah, really, really key. Yeah, and you know, I I think you know it's very short sighted when we try to sell one off the other um, because the rural needs the urban and the urban needs the rural. You know, mm-hmm. um, I did I I try to preach that a lot at the Office of Rural Prosperity. So yeah, no, that's that's good work. Well, uh, there's one question I always kind of wrap up with is, uh, and for yours, I've kind of got it broken into two options. Um, just tell me one thing that people might not know about you or about your role as treasurer that you kind of wish they knew. Okay. Well, one story, and I've told this to a few people, is that uh, when I was in college, I uh, was actually Winnie the Pooh on national TV uh, for the the uh, Special Olympics, uh, when I, I worked at Sears when I was in college, and they sponsored it, and so I got to be in the Winnie the Pooh costume and lost about twenty five pounds. So it was a great great <laughs> opportunity because it was all outside and outdoors. So I always tell people that's the one one different one. You know, as as treasurer, I think the, the one of the big things is that 
there's a lot of services that we provide. You know, uh, probably the big thing is our 529 Learning Quest accounts for helping kids prepare for education. We have our scholar shop that, you know, we've got a database of 6 million scholarships for $30 billion. And now we've updated our um, ABLE uh, for families that are living with a disability. There's some some programs there that can really help uh, for people's future. And so I really encourage people to check those things out and, um, you know, hopefully use those to benefit their own financial condition, because when their financial condition improves, the state's uh, financial condition improves as well. So, so if there's things that we can help you help them with, that's what I would really like them to know about. So. And, I'm, and I imagine that your office is pretty accessible, right? If people yeah, want to our website is, someone. Yeah, is kansascash.ks.gov. So the word Kansas, the word cash.ks.gov. Um, and there's a, a mechanism on there that can, you can send us an email if you have a question. There'll be 800 numbers for the Learning Quest or for the ABLE accounts. Um, you can search for unclaimed property while you're there. You can learn about the fiscal services from, from the state. Um, we try to keep that updated. We're uh, hoping to add a Spanish section soon so that people can, you know, bilingual can, can connect with it. A um, lot of things there that we can update, but that's a great starting point. Good, good. Well, thanks for all your years of service to education and, and the state. And thanks for inviting me into your wonderful sunroom here today to, for a visit. <laughs> well, thanks. I, I've enjoyed the conversation. It's good to, good to, to connect. So yeah. thanks. Thank you. I'd like to thank a few of the people who've helped make that podcast and Hutch possible. My son, Mitchell Probst, wrote and recorded the music for the show. Jenny Brigette put together some great graphics and promotional art. And Chris Acker helps overcome my mistakes to produce a great sounding product every episode. That podcast in Hutch is made possible through a collaboration between the Hutchison Arts and Culture Collective and Salt City Sound. They're working to bring resources and infrastructure to support art, music, and storytelling in our community. If you have an idea for your own podcast, reach out to them at podcasts at saltcitysound.net. If you enjoy that podcast and Hutch, be sure to subscribe and share it with all your friends. You can also help support this production by subscribing to thatguyandhutch.substack.com or by emailing me at thatguyandhutch at gmail.com to learn about sponsorship opportunities. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us again next week. Salt City Sound Production.